0: Welcome to Rael Talk, where I explore ideas about movement, music, and mindfulness to inspire and elevate your human experience. I'm your host, Britta Rael, and on today's show is a friend and colleague of mine named Nam Shantarwin, who is a CYT 500-hour yoga teacher based in San Diego, California. He's well-known in the yoga community for his skillful and interdisciplinary approach to science-based yoga and mobility. Nam provides really detailed verbal cues and hands-on assists to help his students find fuller experiences in their own yoga practice. Nam has worked with professional athletes in the NFL, the MLB, and the NBA. His classes are regularly featured on Yoga International's online education platform, and he is considered by his community as a teacher's teacher. He really enjoys helping other teachers to further their studies and understanding of yoga and movement. He's a super fun guy with a great sense of humor and a wealth of knowledge. We drop into a lot of technical teaching points about mobility, biomechanics, and adjustments, all in the context of group yoga classes. We discuss why it's important to teach from a curriculum, um, how to offer manual adjustments, how not to address pain and injuries for your students, and how yoga itself is a means to a spiritual life for both those who practice and who teach. Without any further ado, welcome Nam. Well, good morning, Nam. Um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to connect with me today. Good yeah, morning.
1: Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me.
0: So I would love if you could talk a little bit about what you do and who you are so that those of us listening who don't know you can get a little bit better picture.
1: Yeah, sure. It's always hard talking about myself. I don't really do that very often. (laughs) Um, This is a good, a a good growing
0: opportunity for you.
1: Yeah, it's a good lesson. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so I teach yoga in San Diego. Um, I teach yoga and, and movement. So a lot of, uh, mobility and, and movement in my classes. Um, I've been teaching since 2014, um, I'm a a ERYT certified uh, 500 teacher, um, and I did my 500 hour teacher training with uh, Jason Crandall, who's like one of my favorite teachers up in uh, San Francisco, um, but uh, my classes uh, and what I do is I focus more on the strength and mobility part of movement versus focusing so much on um, what yoga usually kind of glorifies as like range of motion and flexibility. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, I approach my classes more in the sense that, um, you know, you learn how to move your body skillfully and in the range of motion that you already have, and not worry so much about gaining more and more range of motion. Um, because once you start to learn how to move your body better, once you start to control the range of motion you already have, that increase of range of motion kind of intrinsically happens anyways. Um, so, Uh, we're focusing more on stabilizing our joints in our bodies and uh, developing a little bit more of a sustainable range of motion in our bodies.
0: Wow. I mean, that's already like, boom, deep life lesson. Work with what you've got and maximize it, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to know a little bit. I mean, we're going to dive deep into what all of those terms mean and kind of your methodology and your approach. And I'd love to talk more about, you know your extensive trainings and what you've learned and how you work with other teachers, um, but I want to know like who who are you? Who is Nam? Um, what what lights you up? Or or maybe if you could talk a little bit about why you got into teaching yoga and movement? Um, what drew you to those practices? Or or is there any type of story that inspired you to pursue this more of a at a professional level?
1: Yeah. Um, well, you know, like. When I first started doing yoga, um, actually, I, I decided to join yoga after I uh, I gotten out of like a really toxic relationship, and I, I was living a pretty sedentary life. And so mm-hmm. I decided, well, you know, I need to get back in shape. So uh, maybe yoga would be good to to start out with, and then I'll I'll go to the gym after I get a little into a little better shape. Um, I joined a yoga studio, and uh, you know, like when you, you when you talk to other yoga teachers, they say things like, "Oh, when I first stepped into yoga class, it was like." The most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. I felt like I belonged finally. Um, mm-hmm. That wasn't me. <laughs> for me, it was like, this, this is weird. This is odd. odd. This is awkward. Uh, I hate how my body feels right now. <laughs> and it hurt, everything hurts. <laughs> um, and so I tried it for a couple classes. Um, and by the third class, I was pretty over it. I was pretty frustrated with, uh, with my body, pretty frustrated with, with what I was being asked to do. But uh, the teacher that I was taking the class from, um, she, she must have seen me struggle. And uh, she came up to me while we were in wheel pose. She gave me a couple blocks, showed me how to modify. And uh, I'll never forget what she told me. She said, don't worry about it. You're doing great. Uh, think of where you're going to be a week from now. Think of where you're going to be a month from now and a year from now. Uh, mm. And those words really resonate with me, especially since I was like kind of in that kind of state of mind where you know, I was trying to get, get over a, a bad breakup and trying to change my life um i started to realize you know yoga is not about instant gratification and getting things right right away it's 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 a lifelong practice and yeah you know, wherever you are in any particular day in any particular moment is where you need to be you just need to make the the, the most of it and and work with it
0: wow yeah who was who was your teacher if you don't uh, mind asking
1: yeah it was amy freeman she uh, uh-huh. teaches in san diego as well i'm sure you know her
0: yes yeah, Not well, yeah. obviously again, like one one person I know a lot of, but I don't know her well.
1: yeah, she's awesome um mm-hmm. but then like that, that right then those words like just like turned the switch in my in my mind, and uh I started really understanding what what yoga was really all about, and uh I haven't stopped since mm. yeah, but then in terms of like starting to teach um a few a few years later uh I got laid off from my job on January first or January second. And um, the 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 studio where, where I was practicing at the time had a 30 and 30 challenge where you do like 30 classes in 30 days.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I said, well, heck, you know, might as well do that. I have plenty of time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and that year, my my New Year's goal or my New Year's resolution was actually um, the theme was goals. So every every day you would just do something towards a goal. So I figured, oh, well, you know, my, my goal will be to do 30 classes in 30 days. I ended up doing thirty classes in fifteen days, because I was trying to be an overachiever. Of course. And then I said, "Well, if I can do thirty classes in thirty days, I can probably do sixty classes in. I mean, fifteen classes in in fifteen days. I can do, you know, sixty classes in thirty days." Mm. I ended up doing another thirty classes in uh, ten days, so that's sixty classes in twenty-five days. And so I figured if I did eighty classes in thirty days, that would give me one hundred. 100 hours of yoga in, in that month, so I said, okay, well, that's my next goal. I'm gonna do that. and I Ended up doing 81 classes. Wow! And so after that, like literally after that last class, the uh, the owner of the studio says, dude, man, why don't you just do teacher training? And I said, well, that could be another goal. And I said, okay, sure. And I signed up right away. <laughs> uh, I signed up not really wanting to teach. I just wanted to just to uh, you know hit another goal and just to uh, keep on practicing and and continue on. But through the teacher training process, um, I realized how much I enjoyed. The, the actual act of teaching, and, and uh, I kind of ran, ran with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, I would never have assumed that you just came into yoga like, oh, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this because it's a goal, and then I'm going to become a teacher because it's kind of like a personal challenge. <laughs> right. You're such a natural teacher. You have so much, so much skill and so much profundity in what you teach. It feels like you've been doing this and studying it for decades. But that's yeah, amazing that, just, that yeah, you just, just found it. it.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, it literally it found me, I guess.
0: Yeah. It it definitely found you. Now you teach a really pretty heavy load of classes, in my book. I mean, you teach like eighteen classes a week, generally. Is that correct?
1: Uh, actually, I teach twenty one classes a week with uh, okay. privates and 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 uh, corporate classes. It's uh, it's twenty one classes actually.
0: So. How does your i mean you you obviously are good at finding a goal and and accomplishing it or or working towards it? How do you approach that workload every week as a teacher do you have a you want to talk about a little bit of your approach to sequencing or the structure of those type of i guess group classes is more what we could talk about.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a that's what, actually you've got to have a
0: sure. magic trick, right, to keep that schedule up for yourself and also for your students.
1: Yeah, it's not so much of a magic trick; it just it's just process and um and 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 organization, really. Um, mm-hmm. I I learned this from Jason Crandall. Um, and it's essentially instead of teaching every class as if it needed to be like the most creative and new class and the most creative sequence ever, um, you just sit down and just work out a curriculum for a certain amount of time. So maybe it's, you know, three months, four months, or even a whole year, you have a, a big picture learning um, approach or a learning objective. And so instead of teaching 21 classes and having to, to create 21 sequences for each one of those classes every week, um, I just sit down at the beginning of the month or even at the beginning of the year and I plan out my, my whole year. So I look at, you know, what I want, what do I want my students to learn that year, whether it's a physical skill or a a mental and emotional skill or a spiritual spiritual skill. Um, I kind of map out what I would like them to learn. And then you break it down into smaller segments. And, you know, like this whole year, we're going to learn about something about the body. You know, this first quarter, we'll, we'll examine and look at this particular action or this particular uh, skill of moving and then the, within that quarter this month we're going to really focus on the more minutia the more minute details of the thing and as you go through the the whole year you kind of just look at your schedule of of, of what you want to teach and you just kind of teach off of that and every class is is pretty similar to each other and we work on the same thing over you know a week two weeks three week period of time so that it it, it ingrains the lesson in the in the students' bodies and in the students' minds through repetition, mm-hmm. and that way I don't mm-hmm. have to focus on always trying to create a brand new sequence every single time because that's that's where a lot of teachers potentially get burnt out because they 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 try to be so creative that they burn their creativity out pretty quickly.
0: And it doesn't serve their their students, in my opinion. I mean, it's wonderful to occasionally have something that's like very new or, or different or interesting or kind of like a new perspective on a sequence or a posture or an approach to something. But if a student, especially someone that's new, is coming into class and every week it's like this really complex symphony of poses strung together, like how does that person gain any mastery or understanding in their body, let alone in their, in their psychological concepts of those uh, practices, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like musicians don't learn how to play a song by playing. Yeah. How do I play an instrument? Playing by playing thousands of songs every single time they they come to a class. Yeah. They they learn one song and then they move on. They learn another and they keep on repeating the same thing until they master it.
0: Yeah. The, the yoga of scales. <laughs> yeah. This is the C scale. This is the G scale. Today is sun salutations. Yeah, I mean, totally. my approach is very similar. Um, and although I haven't formally studied with Jason, I've studied a lot of his um, online content and blogs, but but also just my approach is I want to also have mastery in my teaching so that I have time to feel like I owned the material that I'm presenting and that's serving my students in a certain way, you know, before I teach a, a crazy inversion at maybe week four out of a series or something, I want to make sure that I've brought them through all of the mechanical necessities and under that they've understood like what's really, what's really needed in their body in order to do that safely. And so it gives me a chance as a teacher Um, to take some of the pressure off, like you said, of almost performing and, and burning myself out on creativity. And I can kind of fall back and rely on just the structure of trusting this process, this repetition, this repetition. So my, my question after that is, you know, given that you have 21 classes, I'm going to assume that those are not all the same type of classes or are they?
1: Uh, for the most part, they are. I teach a few uh, gentle and chair yoga classes and the corporate classes are a little different because we don't have as much, as much time in those classes. But mm-hmm. um, all of my public classes are at uh, the studios or at uh, the climbing gym that I teach at. They're all relatively the same
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in terms of style. Um, yeah, so you, don't have I- to,
0: you don't have to then kind of subscribe to, okay, I'm making curriculum for this vinyasa 2 class and then I'm making curriculum for beginners hatha and then I'm making curriculum for xyz advanced class. You um, just kind of have like a very similar offering.
1: Yeah, it's very similar but the, the thing is is that the the lesson can be applied to a vinyasa or a gentle or a slow flow or or, or any kind of class. So really what I teach doesn't necessarily change it's just the style that i teach it in will change depending on the style of the class right, right? so um like you mentioned you know like, like yeah there, there could be like a a, a vinyasa like a 2-3 vinyasa or a, a beginner hatha i would probably teach the same content just delivered in a vinyasa style or a beginner one hatha style right Um, So the, the, the lessons and the teachings don't really change. It's so much, it's just more the approach of how you present the information.
0: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And
1: this, yeah, the sequence doesn't really change that much either. It's just how to modify the sequence so that it is more accessible or more challenging or however that is.
0: And now you work in, like you said, rock climbing gyms, you work at um, one of the studios that we used to teach at, mutually as Pilgrimage of the Heart or, or many others, do you find that your style, not only in kind of like your incorporation of strength and mobility and this kind of approach through a, an ownership of range of motion, but but the style that you've described here of having a little bit more structure and curriculum-based learning, do you find that in any of those environments, your students respond Better or worse or differently, um, based on kind of that that environment. Like, do rock climbers like this style versus you know the traditional Hatha yogis? Or well, what's been your experience so far?
1: Um, I, I think that um, it, it it it's not so much the the difference between a rock climber or, or a regular yogi. It's just the kind of person that that my students are and and what they're interested in. Because you know you. you you go to any studio you can go to any gym you can go to any rock climbing facility and you're gonna have students who really enjoy and connect with you as a teacher and what you teach and you have students who don't so i don't think it's necessarily like the 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 kind of student in terms of being a rock climber or, or an athlete or mm-hmm. or a yogi or a dancer It's just um i think it's just personal connection that you have with with the students that are around you um yeah not not necessarily like the content or, or, or or the style at which you present that content. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. However, I would say, um, you know, you've, you've taught at pilgrimage. um, So, you know, like out of all the other studios anywhere, pilgrimage has the most diverse level students I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, in in any class you'll get, you'll get students from any walk of life, you know, from, from, uh, advanced to beginner to, to older age to, young, to younger students. I mean, every single class, there's, there's a, like, just like a huge range of, of students in there, mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: which I really love. I mean, it, like, it, it challenged me to, to really make sure that everything is, that I teach is accessible to everybody and, and, and challenging to everybody versus, you know, at a rock climbing gym or at any other studio, you tend to get the same type of student, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, rock climbing gym, you get a lot of, you know, rock climbers and athletes, um, a studio I teach at near the beach, you know, a lot of, you know, like beachgoers and hippies and and, and and flower child and all that stuff, which, which is awesome too. Um, <laughs> and then I teach out downtown. So a lot of like corporate people. And, and, and so like the, the type of students who show up to these other studios are, I mean, yeah, I think you can fit them a little bit more easily in, in a, in a box that, that like describes who they are versus yep. like pilgrimages is like, you get, you get like every, Kind of person from every walk of life, and and it's 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 really amazing there.
0: Yeah, yeah, I were I I taught at Mesa Rim also for some time, and it was definitely like you described a, a much more narrow demographic of people of just bodies, you know, their bodies yeah. are pushers and climbers and really fit, strong people because what they do is climb, and so it definitely challenged me as a teacher in other ways to present. A, material that certainly was um, accessible or adaptable, but that really served maybe their generic needs, you know, as climbers, because everybody almost in that room every time could identify, yeah, I climb. I have this shoulder pain. I have this back thing going on. I have, like, tight X, Y, Z, you know. So do you spend, um, do you spend a lot of time, like, speaking with your students in any of those different locations um, in a way that kind of gives you or clues you into like very specific needs you know let's say someone is constantly coming into class with xyz body pain how do you in that environment kind of approach that ask into what you teach because one one of the things that I struggled with for a long time, and that I see a lot of other teachers struggle with is they they might not have a curriculum they might not fall back on the, the type of structure that you say you implement, and then they rely on like asking hey what are you, what body parts hurt today or like what do you guys need and that's that's a really big rabbit hole because you'll find that there's there's general needs that you can address, like example again in the rock climbing community but how do you approach that without going into the detail or specificity for this one issue that this one person has and not designing your class all around that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I don't make it a practice of, of asking the students at the beginning of class if they have any requests. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I mean, I think my experience is like, is two things will happen. Usually first one is some will say hips, some will say shoulders, <laughs> Someone will say neck, yep. right? Those are the, or someone will say spine. And so those, those are the three things that people always generally ask for. So it's like, I don't really bother asking because I know that's what people want. So I'm always going to give them that. Everybody's going to get a really well-rounded class either way. We're just yep. going to focus on primarily one thing while we're doing the whole well-rounded thing. Or you get a, a really specific request. Um, and it's like, well, how, you know, how do I, meet your specific requests while not um, neglecting or ignoring everybody else's needs, right? So mm-hmm. I don't really ask for requests. Mm-hmm. What generally happens with my classes is that students will come up to me after class and they'll talk to me about whatever's going on with them. Right. And we can start to workshop and, and talk about what's going on and, and going from there. Um, you know, if a student says something like, oh, my shoulder hurts, at the beginning of class or even at the end of class it's like well I, I don't really know what to do with with that information like my shoulder hurts it's such a broad, <laughs> so broad. statement right it's like yeah yeah your shoulder hurts great all um,
0: yoga teachers are in fact medical doctors as exactly soon as you graduate <laughs> yoga school you are a medical doctor so oh, yeah yeah
1: we know everything <laughs> about your body by the way yeah <laughs> yeah and so yeah so it's like yeah, if, if a student asks me or tells me that i well i'll usually ask them like well well first of all do you know in what poses your shoulder hurts like what you are you doing that is causing pain in your shoulder and the first thing that we would do is just just look at those things that they're doing and find a way of modifying the things so that the shoulder doesn't hurt right so you like you you manage the pain first and then you can start to look at how to address the 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 cause of the symptom but um Trying to manage everybody's pain and everybody's injuries to in in the classes is, is not exactly something that you want to do. It's not something that you're trained to do as a yoga teacher, and it's not in our scope of work or in our scope of practice.
0: It's really not, and that's that's the beauty of staying within your scope of practice. Is you can then have the confidence to say, "Wow, you know, I'm I'm really sorry that you're going through that, and he, you know, here are the very very few things that I can." kind of dissect or interview you about to see if I can offer some support, but let me refer you to, you know, my doctor or physical therapist, or go find, you know, the right person that can help treat those. I think that's, um, in my experience, it became just a really awkward, awkward moment to be in, like, okay, class, like, why don't I open the door to telling, asking everybody to tell me about their their pain and their injuries (laughs) and let's create a class about that. Like that's a really awkward place to be in and it doesn't serve anybody. So I think that's great advice, you know, to just stop opening the door right? and just teach a well-balanced practice. That's going to serve everybody generally. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked a lot about in the beginning, just um, your teaching style being more of a strength and mobility practice. Can you talk a little bit about, the definitions of those things for you in the context of the yoga classes that you teach and maybe the relationships between what you see as, you know, this, this word functional movement <laughs> um, <laughs> and how they, how that relates to like the general population of people that are practicing in your classes.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think the t- defining terms is important because, uh, you know, we can be, we we can be speaking the same word, but but not exactly have the same definition behind that word, so it's important to define that. Uh, yeah. for, mo- for me, mobility is is the easiest way to define mobility. For me, is to 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 define mobility uh, in relation to flexibility or the difference between the two. Right. So mm-hmm. flexibility for me is is the ability to be moved into a position, and the the keyword is, is to be. So flexibility is being able to to, to have your joints move into a position or into a range of motion um, through an outside force or through leverage. So, if I were to, you know, grab your 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 arm and, and twist your arm back behind your your your, your back, uh, and you can take your arm all the way back, or right? I take your arm all the way back without hurting you, that would be the definition of flexibility, right? You're mm-hmm. you're able to let somebody else or something else move your joint into a into a, an extreme range of motion, right? You're your predominantly passive. Yeah, it's predominantly passive. Uh, and then and, um, mobility is the ability to move yourself into that position. So it's predominantly active, active range of motion. So being able to you know, lift your leg uh, and your knee up into your chest without actually having to use your hand to do it, being mm-hmm. able to move your shoulder in a position without using a strap or using the floor or using your other hand to bind and, and, and moving that position, that would be mobility. Uh, and being able to control those movements without compensating with other joints. So if I were to ask you to move your hip joint, you'd be skillful enough to just move your hip joint and do the thing without having to compensate by moving your pelvis or moving your spine.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, how often do you feel like people that come into your yoga classes... Maybe having never practiced before, like have any any level of mastery of mobility
1: <laughs> i mean I, th- I think not a lot of people have mastery over mobility, you know whether you 're yeah. being be you 're a yoga beginner or an advanced yogi, yeah. um, just the practice of yoga itself doesn 't really lend itself to that. Mm-hmm. Um, we put ourselves in the very complex and compound movements and positions and, and shapes that uh, require um, that a lot of things happen in our bodies, and so we we use all of the joints to do all of the things, uh, and we don't really pay attention to individual joints and individual movements. Uh, and so, for beginners, it's actually a little easier for them to integrate the the lessons and integrate the the skills because they're you know pretty much a clean slate. They they haven't learned the the bad habits of a of an experienced yogi. So they can really slow down and, and, and like notice what to do and, and what needs to be done versus like an experienced yogi, they already have a concept of what the shape needs to look like. Mm-hmm. And so they put this themselves in shape without really paying attention to what the body is actually doing. Um, so I find that yeah. teaching beginners actually a little bit easier in that sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can relate to that. Taking your classes or taking several other classes recently, it's like, there's a predisposition that I have based on my experience or, or, you know, quote capability. <laughs> and, and often that'll that'll become a disadvantage because my mind takes over and says, yeah, the, do this. Cause this is what, you know, how it should feel. And then you come over and you're like, actually, this is what I want you to do. And the experience is incredibly different.
1: Right. Yeah, and it so, could it, it could be so different that it's it's so difficult for for you to do that. Advanced yogis they're so used to being really good at doing the thing, and mm-hmm. so when you're asking them to do something just slightly different in control, it becomes a dramatically different experience, and it becomes difficult for them. And it's almost like a you know a hit to the ego. It's like, well, this is difficult for me to do. But I'm just going to do the thing that I usually do.
0: Do you find that? I mean, I can I can feel this within myself and I can probably identify like a handful of people that would identify with this as an advanced yogi whatever that means someone that has just more more time on the mat more experience doing poses and sequences and everything in the physical realm. Um, Do you find that those people that come into your class who are challenged by the mobility we'll call them drills for lack of a better word do you find that that almost motivates them more or like kind of gives them a charge because it's so hard it's like they want to do it more just because it's a new degree of challenge that's maybe outside of the challenge that they now don't find in their practice
1: oh yeah totally um i think that that's that's one of the things that that brings them back right is that is that challenge it's like, it's like they've done this pose for so long and for so many times that it's just become rote for them yeah. and and having something else to really focus on brings a new experience and because it's become either difficult or challenging for them they you know at first it's a hit to their ego but then once they realize the benefits of it and once they realize oh maybe this is something new that i can that i can do and, and 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 work on they'll come back and and continue to work on that until they get it and then you yeah. can choose something else and then the, the cycle goes on and on
0: which is a great place for you to be in as a teacher because you get to give people the candy that's, that they didn't even know that they wanted yet. <laughs> right. They, they keep coming back and your classes are full because everyone's like, I had no idea that just sitting in Arda Sadasana could be so damn hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> you, uh, you also teach a lot about, in my experience of your class, you, you mention and talk about biomechanics and I think that's something that also we can define because there's probably a pretty decent misunderstanding that people have about what that is, or maybe that people don't even know what that is. And more importantly, how, how to, how it relates to a yoga class or how to apply it in that setting. So can you break it down a little bit for me?
1: Yeah. So biomechanics, the term biomechanics is one of the most um, misunderstood terms. Um, When a lot of yoga teachers or students, here or use the word biomechanics. Um, I think they 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 interpret that as how the body moves, or um, which is which is body mechan- body mechanics, not biomechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, or how like you know alignment should be, or or or, or you know what your joint should be doing. Um, biomechanics is actually not that. Uh, biomechanics is just really simply the study of how tissues respond to force, um, mm-hmm. just like. Um, a, uh, uh, um, a structural engineer um, or structural mechanics would look at like a bridge and say, and say okay, well, this, if we want to build this bridge, um, we need to have this much uh, amount of steel that can hold this amount of load or, or of weights. That's really what bi- biomechanics is, is like how much load or how much weight can your joints and can your tissues actually hold and tolerate? And so Mm -hmm. the use of body mechanics in yoga is important in terms of like, you know, I'm sure um, you, all of your listeners have heard something similar to um, a yoga teacher saying, uh, recognize the difference between pain and discomfort, or uh, if it hurts, then back off, don't do it. Or if you, you, if you have an injury, then don't do the thing because you might injure yourself more or uh, don't do this thing because you might hurt yourself. Like for example, don't put your foot, never put your foot on your inner knee if you're in tree pose because you might hurt yourself. Um, and so that's more like, you know, like misinformed body mechanics. But biomechanics is just in terms of, or, or I'm sorry, biomechanics in terms of um, yoga practice is more looking at, well, how much load are you putting on your body and, and on your tissues? Um, and is it the, the right amount of load, right? So is doing 100 chaturangas good for you? Or is doing one Chaturanga good for you? Or is Chaturanga just not good for you whatsoever? It's just like the load is like, how many times are you doing the thing? And is it good for you? How heavy is the load? How often are you doing it? How, um, how or like, what is the angle of the load that you're doing? Is, and is, is it appropriate for your own body? Um, and so that's what we look for in, in terms of bi- uh, biomechanics. You know, Can we l- use biomechanics to... It, better inform you about what your body can do and what your body can't do. Um, and, and teach you that doing anything is not necessarily a question of safe or unsafe. It's more a question of skillful or not skillful. Yeah. Right. Um, like a good example is like, uh, oh, I'm sure you've, you've all heard this. is like uh, a ligament a, and, a, and a tendon are different tissues, right? Like a ligament holds bone to bone And a Mm -hmm. tendon holds bone to muscle. So you can stretch a tendon, but you can't stretch a ligament, right? Mm -hmm. Well, so biomechanics teaches us that um, both tendons and ligaments are um, similar tissues that respond to force, that respond to to tensile force, meaning that they respond to being stretched, right? Mm -hmm. They just respond differently to being stretched, meaning that a tendon can be stretched a whole lot more than a tendon can. But that doesn't, I'm sorry, a tendon can be stretched a whole lot more than a, than a ligament can, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't or can't stretch the ligament out. It just right. means that you just have to be aware of the load on the ligament versus the load on the tendon. Um, if you've ever had a an ACL surgery that replaces the ACL, most likely um, the surgeon replaced that ACL, which is a t- ligament, with a with a tendinous tissue, meaning that he re- they replaced the ligament with a tendon. And then so if you looked at that tissue about a year after um, it was replaced, it would still look like a tendon. But with the application of load and the application of forces, your tissues will change and, and morph over time to do the thing that you ask of it to do. So, in about seven years, if you looked at that same tissue, it's actually changed to a tendon uh, I'm sorry it's changed to a ligament, so the tendon changed and morphed and became a ligament because you asked it to do the job of a ligament uh, right. and so being afraid of like doing the things that you're not supposed to be doing yoga, um, biomechanics teaches you to be less afraid of it and to be more mindful and skillful about doing it
0: right it's a lot about the why you know uh, I think as, as I've developed as a teacher and taken other um, training modalities and just worked with a lot of people, anytime basically that I get a question, it's, it's now comes down to, well, it depends, you know, there's a lot of different whys. And so I think biomechanics as you've described it, is a, a better lens to look at how appropriate are these actions or these decisions or these things that we do based on, You know the context and and if you can describe or or understand or even just start to philosophize around the why then you get a better understanding of those answers and becomes like you said less black and white like do this don't do this this is safe this is not safe it's like here's more options
1: totally yeah And understanding the why is so much more important than understanding the what you know what to do versus why are you doing it is, is 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 different
0: Right, because the what that you do, like, for example, the chaturanga thing that you described, yeah, I don't particularly want to do a hundred chaturangas for my particular body right now in that context, but I, it gives me a little bit more understanding of why I don't want to do those and in what context should I do them and how should I do them with more skill so that I don't injure myself, I strengthen myself. Right. It's also similar, like, A long time ago I had a an example, someone was trying to coach, I think this was in like maybe a personal training class or a session. Someone was like, you know, never, never squat with your back in a rounded position. You know, you never want to pick up load with your back rounded. You wanna let your legs and your hips kind of have the primary action. And I was like, Okay, well, what about just like reaching down onto the ground to grab something. Yeah, optimally, if I was doing that a thousand times a day with load, being in a f- big time flex position in my spine probably would not serve me very well.
1: <laughs> right.
0: But just to like reach down and tie my shoes once or twice a day, the effects are are almost nothing, undetectable, right? So it's a really nice lens to look through the biomechanic approach. And is that something that you really talk about in class? Because we can get into like super nerdy details for those of the listeners that are interested. But I think the most majority of people that come into a class might be interested to learn about that concept, but they might not even know that that's what you're teaching unless you talk about it. So is it something that you really bring up like as a a topic or as a, a term in your classes?
1: Um, I don't necessarily bring up the term biomechanics in class. Um, I do bring it up in in workshops, and 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 I do teach biomechanic workshops. But um, I do talk about the concepts and the ideas um, in class. It's just presented in a way that that is a little bit more accessible for everybody to to absorb um, versus mm-hmm. like talk about the scientific and, and uh, part of it and all the terms. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you're right. So it's like you know, uh, the idea of like you know never lift with your back always lift with your legs and like you said like if you were, you know bend over and pick up a, a scrap of paper that's on the floor you always have to like squat with a flat back and bend your knees it's like you know, looks like, like you, a
0: perfect little power squatter
1: <laughs> right exactly yeah <laughs> there's a there's a guy on instagram um he's i think his his uh handle is beard the best you can be things like be the best okay. you can be like anyways but he has these videos that like make you know make uh, um, make light of all these ideas of like you know here's 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 a very simple mundane everyday task but you have to do it in like the proper deadlift uh, right. alignment right so perfect. it's perfect. Like, yeah, yeah yeah so it's the same thing it's like you know if you're yeah if you're doing something just do it with the 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 load in mind yeah like what what is appropriate for the load
0: this might be related it might not be i mean i'm sure there's some relation but i want to talk to you about your approach to offering adjustments because your adjustments, your assists on a, on a physical level um, are really useful and really supportive and they feel really great in class. And so whether that's like a direct relationship to biomechanics, like the load that you're applying to a person's body to help them find a different uh, depth or experience in a posture or not, can you talk a little bit about what you've learned over the years about adjustments? Yeah, you totally. Know, are, are they necessary? Why do them? What are some of the the language that we need to address? You know, the difference between like an adjustment or an assist. Um, what's the difference? And like a little bit about how your approach to that.
1: Um, yeah, that's a great question. I, I I do offer a lot of physical adjustments and assists in my classes. Um, and you know, when I first started out. Um, I made plenty of mistakes. I, I did plenty of things that um, I was either taught or saw on, on social media and, and on Instagram and all that stuff in terms of like, oh, you know, somebody did, somebody did this adjustment as I saw that looked really cool, so I'm going to try to do it um, without really understanding the intent or the the why behind it. Uh, and, you know, I I think I mentioned this earlier that so traditionally yoga has done a really good job of glorifying range of motion and flexibility and in, in, in and uh extreme range of motion. Mm-hmm. And so assists have and, and, and adjustments have kind of like supported that, have, have like reinforced yeah. that. You know, like if you're if you have a student who is folding forward in a seated forward fold, you're gonna gonna go over there and, and push them deeper into the forward fold because you want them to go deeper into the pose. Um and so when I first started offering adjustments in teaching. Um, I did a lot of that. Um, but then as I started learning more about, about biomechanics and learning more about mobility and and more skillful ways of moving and more skillful ways of being and more skillful ways of teaching, um, I quickly changed the approach um, to adjustments. And my adjustments are more to support and to ground students while allowing mm-hmm. them to do the, the movement on their own, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, in some ways you can apply an adjustment to offload the forces on their bodies so that um, they can focus on doing the skill, right? So that they don't have to focus so much on like holding themselves in space and, and, and doing that. So you can hold them up there. Uh, in other ways, um, you just give them uh, a physical adjustment to, to give them some feedback so that they can actually feel doing the thing a little bit more. So you add a little more load to the thing. Um, and so adjustments are traditionally have been you know moving somebody into a passive range of motion and leveraging them deeper into a pose mm-hmm. versus now my adjustments are more to teach people how to move more through active range of motion and support that mobility work
0: right because like why would we go about that in the first place like why it, it's such a cultural thing in yoga like you said to achieve these like deep great incredible ranges of motion like why oh
1: because it makes you (laughs) a lot more spiritual line of course yeah (laughs) well obviously
0: i'm not that spiritually aligned because i don't really care so (laughs) i need to i need to do some work here but yeah that's it's just so funny to actually hear you say it again and to think like why where did we ever start thinking that way that's so it's so not relevant you know it's so not useful
1: I don't think it's ever like a conscious thought. I think it comes, a large, largely comes from how um, we learn to cue the poses in the first place.
0: Yeah, language.
1: Yeah, language. So, you know, in, in any particular pose, um, a lot of the cues that, that you learn in a 200 hour teacher training um, have to do with either deepening the pose or fixing the pose. So, you know, you, you learn cues to get them into Warrior 2. And then after you get them into warrior two, the cues that you generally learn how to, get, to give is uh, cues that like fix the warrior two. Put your knee here. Put your foot here. Don't do this with your, your, your knee. Don't do this with your, your, your back foot. Um, move your arms here. So it, it kind of like values more of the aesthetic look of the pose mm-hmm. versus the actual internal work of the pose, right? And so those cues um, help to support these kinds of adjustments where you're moving your student's bodies into that ideal shape or, or or ideal pose. Right. Right. And so instead of um, instead of like teaching your students how to actually like work and feel that pose from within. um, So I think largely those adjustments come from, from that idea of of, like the language that's being used um, supports the use of those adjustments.
0: Yeah. So could you could you offer just uh, an example of how you would, let's say, using Warrior 2, how you would language someone to come into that pose differently that doesn't set them up for that same expectation that they need something to be fixed or they need to go deeper? How would you do it if you were teaching maybe even without a manual adjustment, but just the languaging aspect?
1: Yeah. Um, so stepping into warrior two is, 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 and setting up the actual alignment of the warrior two is, is not something that I really focus on unless like I'm teaching a beginner, mm-hmm. and I'll just give them a general direction of where their feet and where their legs need to be. But wherever their their legs land in a warrior two, and wherever they land is fine. You know, the the front knee doesn't have to be directly over the heel. The front thigh doesn't necessarily have to be uh, perpendicular or parallel to the floor. Um, wherever they feel comfortable and easeful in, in warrior two is, is where I want them to be. But the queuing is more focused on the lesson that, I, that I'm teaching for that day. So for example, if I am teaching um, abductions. of of the hips, meaning, you know, take your, you know, being able to spread your legs open the, 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 the skill of of taking your leg away from center. And, Mm -hmm. and so the cue for warrior two on that day, or it would be um, to, to work on how to abduct the leg more. So something like pressing the inner thigh, like talking about the front leg, reaching your, your inner thigh forward, using your inner thigh to push your knee forward but also using your outer thigh to pull your knee back just to stabilize that action. So it's more of a co-contraction, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not about where your knee needs to be. It's just the action that you want to do that that abducts the leg. And it just so happens that by doing that co-contraction, your knee tracks a little bit more over the heel anyways. And it fixes that mm-hmm. problem of the knee falling in or falling out, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of teaching your students, just move your knee over the heel, which is just an aesthetic thing, right? It's just like an action of like, Moving the body in a, into an in a, in actual like shape, mm-hmm. then you teach your student how to actually do the action in their joints by abducting and co contracting. That automatically push, puts the knee over the heel or closer to the heel, anyways. But it puts the knee in a position and w- the hip in a position where it's actually appropriate for their range of motion for their bodies while actually doing the, 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 the active range of motion versus moving it.
0: Right. You're kind of already expecting that they'll achieve what you think they want or need to achieve, which is this maybe aesthetic or more, quote, optimal um, alignment. But rather than referring to it extrinsically, you're creating an intrinsic connection for that person to understand and maybe viscerally feel Right. what it's like to squeeze the inner thigh, draw the knee back, or however it happens. And I think that's, that's really important. Is there's, there's a lot of different learning styles, too. And as a teacher, I think if we can become more adept in different ways to language, then we also can apply the why lens and say, well, why do I, why do I use this language right now? Or why do I use this language right now? totally if it's yep. if it is a beginner and and you just need to help them to actually like maybe see what you're describing cuz they have no idea what the hell abduction means you know mm-hmm. knee over the heel is a pretty good starting point but if that's continuing in the context of oh you're doing it wrong then you get into all these different um issues that arise around fixation, you know, and, and you, you need to do this pose differently to have it work or to be the best. Right. So exactly. I think that's a really important skill.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it relates back to the adjustment too, is like, you know, like, is your, what, what message is your adjustment communicating to your student? Is it that they're not doing it right and, and you need to fix it and you have to help them do it the correct way and the ideal way? Or is your adjustment actually teaching them how to do something Mm-hmm. From the inside, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
0: And even is there, would you say there's a difference um, or do you, do you find a difference in how you use the word adjustment versus an assist? Because I know a lot of people say, oh, I got this great assist in my class. Are they the
1: same? Um, I mean, for me, it, I, 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 I use the two words interchangeably. I, I don't really define one differently than the other. I mean, they're both a physical thing Thing that you're doing to your to your student that helps them find something yeah. um, so I've never really put much um, energy into defining one or the other yeah. um, the, the, the I think it's less important to define the difference between the two and it's more important to define the intention behind the thing right, right? so whether it's you, you, you call it an adjustment or an assist um, the intention behind it for me, should is, is I, I, I don't want to say should because I mean I'm not going to tell other teachers what to do. But for me, my intention behind an adjustment an assist is not to move the student into a different position. My intention behind the assist is to help support the student in what they're doing so that they can learn the lesson for the day.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And if all else fails. My adjustments, the intent is to ground what needs to be grounded so that the thing that can move can move on its own. Right? So, right. if you're doing a, a seated forward fold, finding some way of grounding the pose so that they feel a little more supported and then so that they can fold further on their own. And I don't have to like push on their backs to help them fold forward more.
0: Right. You're creating this gateway for them to experience and express their their whatever range of motion or control
1: right i'm, a, I'm essentially like a human prop right totally
0: prop, i you consider mean, you my human prop yeah great <laughs> <laughs> that's the only reason i go to your classes i just yeah. need my prop i can't nobody I, else can prop me like you prop me
1: <laughs> yeah you know when you come to my class and say like, grab a strap grab a block grab a blanket grab a, grab teacher, a nom grab a nom yep yeah <laughs> but you know props are there to support you they're, they're not there to to they're not going to like actively push into you there's no prop that's going to do that and so you you should be as a teacher you should be doing the same thing you're not pushing against your student you're just there for your students to, to push against and to feel some kind of feedback to inform the the lesson of the pose
0: mm-hmm. now adjustments approach this concept or this kind of issue of physical touch you know so there's certainly an interaction between you and i that you are touching my body in a certain way or that my body is touching your body in a certain way, what are for you in your experience, the most important considerations for offering adjustments as a teacher and as a teacher or a student or a practitioner, what are the important considerations for receiving adjustments? You know, there's, there's a lot to be said there for qualities of touch and intent and consent and feedback and all of that.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think you, you can't have a conversation around adjustments without talking about consent. So, you know, always making sure that you have consent is is important, right? Uh, as a teacher, um, taking the time to do that is important. Um, I have pretty regular students in my class. Um, I would say 90% of the students who show up are, are regular, so I know them really well. And they're comfortable enough with me to to, to let me know on a, on, a, on a class-to-class basis whether they – they feel like they want to get adjustments from, but they know that I'm going to give adjustments. Mm-hmm. If I'm subbing a class, or if I have a class, uh, or if I have a new student class, I will always make sure to connect with that student and to to ask for consent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say always because you know I'm, I'm a human. I, I I you know I oftentimes um, forget to, um, but what I, I I make sure the students understand is that. It is absolutely okay to say no. Mm -hmm. And and it is absolutely okay to to not make a big deal out of it. And if it is a big deal for you, awesome, great. Make a big deal out of it. But it's absolutely okay to make a big deal out of it. In terms of like, if you don't feel comfortable with a a, a teacher giving adjustment or an assist on you, um, however you react to that assist and adjustment is completely okay and acceptable. And it is not your responsibility to make the teacher feel okay about you saying no. It is not the student's responsibility to, to, um, to consider the teacher's feelings. Um, if you don't want that assist or adjustment, Mm -hmm. it is the teacher's responsibility to just accept the, the no, thank you as just that. No, thank you. Right. Um, it shouldn't be a hit on the teacher's ego because the student says no. If you're a, a waiter or a waitress and you walk around offering, offering a refill of coffee and someone tells you, no, I, do, I would not like a refill of coffee, uh, you wouldn't take that personally. Right? <laughs> if you take that personally, that's on you. But that creates this like, moment of tension between you and your student. And you know, you feeling bad about the thing is going to make the student feel bad about the thing. And that doesn't serve your student at all. Right, mm-hmm. and that's not your job. And so, if you're going to ask for if you're going to ask for adjustments, and your students say no, then accept that as as with as as much of a neutral energy as you possibly can, because it's it's just that it's a neutral interaction between you and your student. It's it it, it has nothing to do with who you are as a teacher. It has nothing to do with with you know how the student feels or thinks about who you are as a teacher. It just they just don't want the adjustment for the day, mm-hmm. and that's totally fine.
0: Now. Talking about like kind of neutrality there 's a lot of ways that you know our bodies uh, like to be touched and don 't like to be touched there 's different qualities of touch i mean you 've done a fair amount of body work and massage i 'm assuming um, both giving and receiving and in my practice, you know there's so many different ways that you can approach a body and have it be received very differently um, so do you have any insight onto generally giving an adjustment what are the qualities of touch that you think about or or kind of try to offer maybe as opposed to other qualities and i'm kind of i'm kind of more leaning into like how do you not where do you touch someone obviously that depends on what your intention is and your and your adjustment but like when you come up to offer me an adjustment in class you generally work with my breath pattern and your hands are very like firm and also neutral in a way like you have your hands in closed position like all of your fingers are usually together like these are these are things that i think about as a teacher when i'm giving an adjustment so what are what are some of the tactics that you use in your approach to quality of touch
1: yeah uh well the first thing that i look at is is the intent behind the touch like what am I intending f- uh, for that adjustment? And uh, my intention um, is is uh, always about teaching the student something about the pose using the adjustment, and and rarely ever is my intention. Oh, I'm going to do this to make the student feel really good. Mm-hmm. So the difference between the two is 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 one, the intention being. I'm going to teach the student something, or I'm, I'm I'm hopefully trying to teach the student something, is a little bit more neutral in energy in terms of like yeah, if they don't learn it, it's okay. Mm-hmm. They'll learn it in a different way. Um, but if I come in and, and and my intention is I'm gonna make the student feel really good about it. And then as I do the adjustment and this and I I feel or I I interpret the student not feeling good about it. Mm -hmm. then that like, you know, I, 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 it either, um, forces me to, or it either tells me to try to do more of it or, or else the student doesn't get the benefit of the pose or it goes too far and it pushes the student too far into the pose. Right. So like, I don't look at how to change the experience for the student. I look at how to inform Mm -hmm. the experience for the student. So that's Mm -hmm. number one, the intent. The second thing is, is, going in there with that intention, um, really being clear and concise about the adjustment. Um, so placing a hand, placing a palm, um, you know, giving them a hip or a foot to push against um, should be very clear and concise um, so that they, there's no question or no interpretation of, of, of what that adjustment should be right. about, right? right. If the adjustment yeah, is your action is
0: really really clear hey here 's my foot, lean against my hip, my hand is on your ribs we 're turning this way, awesome yeah instead of and, and that comes down to a confidence thing, I think because someone like you or me that has quite a bit of teaching experience, quite a bit of experience working with bodies and we know generally our intention and, and what we 're looking to inform in that student we 're going to walk in with a lot more clarity and confidence and direction than someone that's you know brand new maybe this is their first year of teaching and they're not really sure what they're doing and so they might make two or three little touches before they get the right place where they want to offer that adjustment and that can be misinterpreted or it could just be um, less useful you know to
1: the student right exactly Yeah. The the, the whole like massaging hands touches is, is, is is one of those things that it's like, yeah, Yeah. I come to class. Yeah. You students come to class for yoga class. They don't come to class for a massage. (laughs) So yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: And certainly, like you said, I mean, if, if, um, my dear friend who's like a sister comes to my class and I know her and we have a very healthy, like body touch exchange relationship. You know, we've done massages together. We do acro yoga together, all of that. I'm going to give her a little bit of like extra, like feel good on her head or her hand if it's appropriate in that moment. But I wouldn't do that for everybody because I don't have the relationship, you know, and I don't want that energy to be, um, yeah, misconstrued or, or disappear, you know, the energy totally, yeah. should be clear. Yeah. It's, it's on so the you, context you of like, of your student. yeah. Yeah. Do you recommend generally? I mean, this is so, this is such a generic question because every teacher and all of their paths and experiences are different, but when's the best time to really start working in adjustments in your classes?
1: Oh, it's, um, an, it's an,
0: it depends question.
1: Yeah. It really <laughs> depends. I mean, I, I can't just say, oh, you should start right away because if you don't have experience and you, if you don't have Um, confidence then then you shouldn't start right away right Mm -hmm. but then without with you know if you don't start you don't get experience it's like that catch-22 thing Um, I think um, a great way to start is just you know studying anatomy studying biomechanics um, studying um, what the the intent of the pose is before you even start to to adjust right like Mm -hmm. what is Warrior two supposed to be doing? What are you supposed to be doing? Warrior two. What are you supposed to be doing in in triangle? What are you supposed to be doing in in a forward fold? Um, And then understanding and being clear for yourself, like what do you want the students to learn about that pose? And then from there, figuring out how to teach that through touch. You can teach it through verbal cues. I mean, verbal cues. You can you can never go wrong with a verbal cue as long as you know they're clear and concise. Um, But some students don't quite respond to verbal cues so they have to um you have to find other ways so maybe it's demoing mm-hmm. um, and then if demoing is work then maybe it is adjustments um but um it all depends on you know what kind of a, a teacher you are and, and, and where you are where you you're at in your experience level in your your, your teaching career um if you feel all that
0: to say it takes a little bit of time
1: <laughs> it does yeah i mean if you and, feel and, like you're um you know you're nervous about adjusting then that nervousness is going to come through and your student will feel that
0: yeah absolutely
1: yeah so and again, find your if, friend, if, find if, your if you don't have a
0: teach. if you don't have the basic understanding also like if you're trying to teach a complex like let's say you're teaching wheel pose and you don't really have ownership or really like a clear understanding of what needs to happen and why you're doing wheel pose how how do you expect to really then articulate that well enough to someone who also doesn't know or experience it right so i think for a lot of teachers it's exciting to do adjustments you want we want to help we want to have connection we want to provide that support and grounding energy and yet those adjustments as as simple as they can be are really really profound and really powerful and they can be misused or or not misused like like you did something with a negative intention but misused you've missed the use of that because you don't have the mastery of it yourself so i think it's just important to emphasize if you're new to teaching like Go work with another teacher, or have like someone that you're really comfortable with, and just use them as your dummy a few times, so that you can kind of start understanding, building that confidence before you're approached in a class environment where you're like, "Wow, I need to make this adjustment," and I'm I'm terrified, or I don't know what to do, rather than doing it for the sake of doing it.
1: Totally, absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, One thing I, 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 the like the very first thing that I teach any of my students who come to my adjustment workshops. And uh, if if you have like a a towel or blanket nearby, you can do this on your own, but find like a a, a solid surface, like a table or or a wood floor, and just press your palm into that wood floor so that you can feel the floor pushing back against you, right? You feel that resistance back. Mm -hmm. And then you place the blanket underneath your palm, between your palm and the floor, and you push through. And what you'll feel is you have to push a little harder through that blanket to feel that floor pushing back against you. And then you fold the blanket over again, you you add another layer and you push again and you use the same thing over and over again, adding on more and more layers to feel the floor pushing back against you and learning how to feel that uh, will teach you at, at the very least the appropriate pressure to put on someone's body um, as a good like starting point, right? Not too hard, not too, too soft, firm enough where you can feel the bones pushing back so that there's an appropriate amount of communication happening from you mm-hmm. through your hand into your student without being too light and without being too heavy.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, That's a great so, example.
1: Yeah. So learning that and just practicing just that without even like having to move somebody into a pose um, is very valuable for a new teacher to learn. Um, just just being able to, to understand what type of pressure to put or how much pressure to put.
0: One thing I also like to offer um, is doing like any type of those presses or points of contact connecting your your hand to your own body. Because generally, you know, bodies communicate really well together more than we even know that they do. And if if I'm able to practice applying some downward pressure on my thigh, you know, on my quadricep muscle or on the inside of my thigh, I can also experiment with how does that feel? Like what is the feedback and communication that I'm actually doing with myself and that'll often be maybe not identical or perfect but it'll often be a really nice baseline or foundation for how to approach contacting another person absolutely so if, if, if you're not if you don't have friends for whatever reason and you're a yoga teacher i mean that's maybe its own issue but <laughs> if you just want to talk to your own body and have some personal time like give yourself a little massage and see like what feels good how does A whole palm feel versus a fist versus a a fingertip you know all of those are different sensory inputs that we can start to use and implement and understand in these adjustments totally yeah so I have a quote that um, I wanted to share and it's it's about you and I would love if you could tell me about this quote because it's, it's really beautiful. It's a powerful reflection on your teaching. And it's, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: it says, well, it's, it's not bad, I don't think. <laughs> it says, Nam goes above and beyond to meet your needs on a metaphysical level with the true confidence of an empathetic teacher. And this is from someone who you quoted on your website, one of your students. And I just want to know like, how you relate to that. What does that mean? How did your capability as a as an empathetic teacher develop, or what do you do? What do you actually do to meet your students' metaphysical needs? It's a, it's an interesting um, thought to consider.
1: Yeah. Um, well, first, uh, you you know you have to kind of like leave your ego at the door when you walk into a yoga studio or, or into a yoga room and um know that you're there to serve the students and not to serve you as you know as, as a teacher and so when you work with your students um opening yourself up to um the messages that they're giving you in class uh, even though they're not they're not talking to you, their body language is talking to you their, their energy is talking to you and you kind of just like you know learn how to read that language and lead those uh, read those messages and and uh and then learn how to how to respond and how to give back mm. so Opening yourself up to what your your students really need for the day, while still teaching what you want to teach. Um, one of the things that I think all students, uh, all teachers, know, is that you can create a sequence for any particular class, and then you show up to the class. Let's let's say like your 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 sequence is, has a lot of of lying on your belly, like a lot of prone poses. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you show up to class and then all of a sudden you have five pregnant women who are you know, <laughs> in their third trimester and like, well, I can't raise do your
0: hand. If that's been you, yeah. uh, both <laughs> yeah. of my hands are up all the time. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And so then the idea is, well, now, you know, you have to be able to like throw it throw your, your, your whole lesson plan out and, and like do something else. Um, and so, the way that, that, that I approach those kind of things is, is uh, well, first acknowledge that, you know, like, yeah, things are going to change and you have to adapt to it. But you also don't need to, like, change what you're planning on doing very drastically. You just have to modify for the students who are in your class, right? So, like, don't just throw your lesson plan out the door. Just know how to help those particular students um, participate in your class. Mm -hmm. without feeling like they're doing something remedial and so if that happens you know like connect with your students and say hey we're going to do be doing a lot of this kind of stuff so when we do all this stuff uh, i'll offer you i'll offer that you try this modification or this thing and and see how that works and check in with those students along the way so that they feel like like they're actually part of the class Mm -hmm. um so really just like kind of opening yourself up to 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 receiving the information that the students are giving you,
0: yeah, is that a skill that you just were born with, or, I mean, a lot of a lot of teachers naturally have empathetic skills. Um, it's kind of like people's personalities are drawn into these types of roles because they're capable of doing that. Is that something that you feel like you've been capable of your whole life just kind of seeing people where they are or you know able to like just tap into what people's needs are and serve them or or did that did you have to work to develop that skill like
1: I think a little bit of both I mean I think um I was born with a a a little bit of of sensitivity to 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 notice what other people are feeling and thinking but I really had to work hard on not so much developing the skill, but the de- but of of suppressing ego and of like mm. ignoring all the other stuff that gets in the way of of reading, reading the, that energy. Um, so it's it's definitely a little bit of both, you know, learning how to just like quiet your mind and quiet all the other voices in your mind that like tells you that gives you like or like that like distracts you from the information, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, it's it's a little bit of both.
0: Do you have any rituals that you do pr- before you teach that that help you kind of connect to that sense of quiet within yourself or that sense of servitude?
1: Uh I would, honestly like my only ritual is walking through the door. Like that's the, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't really have any like overt ri- rituals. Like I, I for me like as soon as I walk through um, the, that door of the of the studio it, like, everything just like quiets for me and and, and I can really focus on um, the task at hand mm. and even if like I'm having a really rough week or a stressful situation in my life um, I've always found that um, it's been easy for me to just like let it go for the hour the hour and a half and and teach um, and in, in that way like teaching yoga is actually like sometimes it's, it's my escape from from the stress in my mm. life it's like you know, I, I go in there I focus on the task at hand I focus on the students that are in my class um, and then afterwards you know like, I, I literally, after class, I, I often feel like, oh, wow, I just forgot about all the other stress that's in my life for that hour, hour and a half. That was awesome. Right. Um, so it's 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 almost very self-serving in, in that sense. But um, I found ways of like, just like hanging all those troubles at the door and, and just focusing all my energy on my students. And, and that's, that helps them and that helps me.
0: <laughs> that's beautiful. That's a gift, you know, that, that you can get from it and give to it at the same time. That's a beautiful gift. Yeah. It seems like below the surface, because I've, I've only been to maybe a handful of your classes since I moved away from San Diego, um, but it seems like there is below the surface a lot of metaphysical in your classes. Like you you definitely tap into... What I would consider things you know more deeper or esoteric or philosophical than just you know the mechanical instruction that you provide in class and it and yet it's not um it's not obtuse it's not like really, really obvious you don't I don't think I've ever been to a class where you lead with a chant or talk about some um philosophical concept but but it seems that, that you often do touch upon that dimension that's sort of beyond like the scientific understanding or the anatomical understanding. Um, it, it almost borders, for me, this is just, again, my perception of, of you and and what you bring to your classes. Like it borders on the realm of spiritual. And so my, my question is that do you consider yourself a spiritual person or, or, or do you consider aspects of your practice or, or your teaching
1: spiritual? Well, I think that, yoga the practice of yoga in itself is is intrinsically spiritual without having to discuss and talk about all of the overtly spiritual things i mean i don't think that you need to talk about the yeah. gita or the uh you know the, the 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 eight limbs of yoga in a class for it to be spiritual i think the 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 uh the practice itself is already chock full of spirituality um and yeah. so um Without needing to chant and without needing to om and without needing to 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 you know talk about um, all the deities and all that stuff, you, you, just doing the practice and breathing and just being on the mat in your own in your own breath in your own body and just just really slowing down and paying attention is is a very powerfully spiritual thing. Um, and um, if you're the type of teacher who enjoys and who excels at teaching all the spiritual and philosophical things about yoga. Awesome. Um, That's great for you. But I, I, that's not the kind of teacher I am, Mm -hmm. Um, which, which is very interesting because, because yeah, that, you know, that the person that you quoted um, talked about me being like metaphysical and, and and you mentioned that you find like, like my classes are, are very much that way. But for me, it's like, I don't put a lot of emphasis on that as much as I've put emphasis on just like attention to the body and doing the thing but doing that intrinsically is spiritual and intrinsically gets you connected to to like where you are in the moment and really that's what yoga is about right like it's it's just about like quieting the mind quieting all those external thoughts and those external voices and just being in the moment yeah and so there's there's that like automatically uh, automatic thing that happens when you do that and that's that's what's that's really what comes out i think
0: yeah i yeah that's the power of the practice is that I think it provides us a wonderful lens again that that word lens this perspective of experiencing every moment in life as something with a possibility of spiritual or sacred you know because because it all is if you just get quiet enough and you and you observe, even if you're just pouring a glass of water or moving your hip through flexion and abduction, the awareness is the spirituality behind it. Yeah. Because there's, there's always something beautiful to learn or to witness and to connect with. Um, And maybe that's why I feel like your classes are really metaphysical, because I geek out on all of the particularities of movement. And for me, that's a very like, spiritually connected thing, because I'm like, wow, you know, my brain and my body and my breath are all kind of Synchronizing and moving it the same way, and these concepts are fascinating, and I'm feeling them in my body, and it becomes like a very, very moving experience. Even though you're not very moving, you
1: know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I think that you know, like uh, whenever a student says that something about you, um, there it, it, it says more about who they are as a student than and than than who you are as a teacher. Like if someone says to you, you know, wow, you're really spiritual. Like if someone says to me, yeah, wow, you're a very spiritual teacher and you're metaphysical it says more about like it says more to me about like who they are as a, as a student as a person that they're very spiritual and they're very metaphysical and they're just right getting the 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 subtle cues and the hints for me to like tap into that right and i don't need to like overtly tell them and lead them they're doing it themselves which is like i think so much more gratifying for to me than 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 anything else
0: yeah i mean it's it's kind of like you are You're just the reflector. You're the gatekeeper. You're just holding space and allowing people to have whatever experience that they're going to have. You're deepening it just, just by your presence. Yeah. So Nam, um, what do you have coming up? Like where can people find you and, and train with you? I know that you do a lot of teacher trainings and you do a lot of wonderful online courses and programs and workshops. Give yourself a shout out. Where can people find you?
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, you can find me online. Um, on my website is yoganom.yoga. I call it the, the yoga nom sandwich, yoganom.yoga. <laughs> and um, we'll put might... everything
0: also in the show notes so people have like links and, and everything in text content. Awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you can find my schedule on there. Um, I have a couple of workshops coming up. Um, so I have a, a actually, I have a, a, an adjustment and a biomechanics workshop coming up at the end of February. Um, so February 22nd and 23rd is the adjustment workshop in San Diego. And the following weekend, February 29th and March 1st, is the biomechanics workshop. Um, still plenty of space. We got a, a huge space to, to do the workshop in, so um there's plenty of, of, of room for everybody to sign up. Um I teach on yogainternational.com as well. And uh in February, um will there's gonna be like a, a whole bunch of new content coming out. Um I'm gonna be one of their featured teachers in February. Um so there'll be a few courses so coming Congrats. out for Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. Um we'll have like a couple of mobility challenges, yoga for men, yoga for beginners, yoga for athletes and a whole bunch of um just like, you know, random ad hoc classes just to have fun in.
0: That's so great. And and your classes really they're so fun. I mean Thank you. As much as you're very very uh precise and you offer like wonderful, you know, clear instruction and it can be very technical, like your classes are really fun, like you have such a great sense of humor, and your online classes, I've, I've just perused what you have available, um, but they look really, really exciting and fun, and I'm sure that was such a cool opportunity to go and film and work with Yoga International, I mean, they're such a great publication.
1: They are, yeah, they're, they're really great people, um, they're, they're growing by leaps and, leaps and bounds too, and uh, there's some yeah. really amazing teachers there,
0: do you have um, any space left on your Patagonia retreat or any other upcoming retreats that people could come, like spend a little bit more time with you?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I have two spots left open for the Patagonia retreat. Um, and, you know, I, I try to make my retreats as affordable as possible. Um, and it, it kind of sounds kind of judgy on my part, but the way I look at it is um, whenever I, I run retreats, it's more like, hey, I'm going to this place if you guys want to come and hang out with me, you can come and we'll just split the cost of the retreat versus like, Hey, I'm having this retreat and come and pay me to do it. Um, Cause right. before I even started teaching yoga, it's like, I've always like gone to wherever I went to and invite all my friends to go and, and I would like organize and arrange for everything. So that's how I approach my retreats. Like you just come and hang out and we'll just share in the cost. Um, but I feel cool. like if I like, I I charge a lot and I try to make a lot of money on it. I feel like I have to like, cater to the to the students who come Um, and I want these retreats to be more like a whole bunch of people come together as friends uh, meeting new people and hanging out and having a good time Um, so there's two spots left in Patagonia that's uh, March 25th through April 1st seven days for 1500 bucks
0: dang that's a good deal yeah well Nam thank you so much for sharing just a little bit more about your teachings and just your story your background it's been really fun to hang out for a little bit and get to know more of you and and kind of banter on the the technological side of teaching and the feeling side of teaching um i hope that i get another chance to come and spend some time with you and for anyone that is listening again we'll we'll post links and information to get a hold of nam and and train with him and learn from him he's an incredible wealth of knowledge and experience um yeah thanks so much man this has been really fun thanks
1: i appreciate it